Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. He is the Andrew W. Mellon Professor in the Humanities at Boston University and the founding director of the BU Center for Anti-Racist Research. He's the host of the new podcast, Be Anti-Racist. Dr. Kendi is the author of many highly acclaimed books, including Stamped from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America, which won the National Book Award for Nonfiction, as well as five straight number one New York Times bestsellers. In 2020, Time Magazine named Dr. Kendi one of the 100 most influential people in the world. He was awarded a 2021 MacArthur Fellowship, popularly known as the Genius Grant. And his new book, released just this week, is How to Raise an Anti-Racist, a book that's packed with vulnerability, hope, research, and love. Welcome, Dr. Kendi. It's a pleasure to be on. So excited to talk to you today. One of the things I loved most about this book is how you come to it as a fellow parent struggling with how to do this. I certainly struggled with how to discuss racism with my kids and probably got it wrong in some ways along the way. And it was very touching to me to see that you as a new father had a similar struggle, even though you know a lot about anti-racism. How am I going to bring this into my daughter's world? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was so striking that... When my daughter was born in in 2016, literally she was born two weeks after my my book stamp in the beginning came out and the book was obviously directed towards adults. And I was thinking about how difficult it was to really engage with adults, you know, about race and racist ideas. And so for me, the thought of like trying to engage with my child, I just assumed it would be even harder, right? If it's hard for adults, it's It must be so much harder for children. Mm. But what I realized through experience and more importantly with research is that it's actually easier to talk with our kids about these topics. First, kids have a very clean and clear sense of right and wrong. As we grow older, it gets a little blurry. You know, and secondly, they don't have the baggage we do. Right. Amy used the word hope in the introduction. And I think the hopefulness, I think sometimes parents come to this work or this idea with, well, I don't want to introduce the idea of race to my kids. Somehow, I don't want to hand them something that feels heavy to me, but that your point of view in this work and in this book is that this is something kids are already aware of. This is not some heavy weight that we're handing to kids and that we can do it in this kind of hopeful way and from this starting point with kids. So can you talk a little bit about that? 
I'm happy you asked about that because I think that's one of the central internal battles that we have. And if we start from the premise that our kids are living in a dangerously racist society, and the reason why I call our society dangerously racist is first, we have a whole bunch of racial disparities and inequities in our society. And our kids can see that darker people are living on the poor end of society, generally speaking. People are then saying that those people have less because they are less, or other people have more because they are more. This is what our kids are hearing directly and indirectly. And those are dangerous ideas. It's dangerous that we have inequality, and it's dangerous that that inequality is being justified as what's wrong with those people. And so that's what our children are navigating. And I think if we start with the premise of that's what they're navigating, right? Then the question becomes, how are we going to protect them from it? How can we introduce a different idea that people don't have more because they are more, or people don't have less because they are less, that the problem is bad rules, not bad skin colors or bad sort of people, so that they can see that inequality from a different vantage point, so that they can work towards you know, eradicating it when they get older. And I think that also... Studies show that by one years old, our kids have an understanding of what we understand as race. So they see skin color. They attach skin color to different groups. By three years old, according to studies, our kids are attaching behavioral characteristics to skin color. And so if we're just assuming that our kids aren't doing that, then how are we going to protect them from the environment that's shaping those ideas? And you bring up in the book that when kids are, say, six to eight years old, you say that they are externally motivated not to talk about racism, that if they bring it up, they're shut down by caregivers. It's impolite. It's inappropriate. And then around 10, they sort of get the message that this isn't something I'm supposed to talk about and they take it inside. Yeah. The first major lesson that kids learn about race, particularly in racism, between about seven and nine years old is that you don't talk about it. And the reason why that happens is because by seven to nine years old, our kids have the cognitive ability to understand and talk about and express what they're seeing about sort of race and racism and to ask questions. And so the common response of parents is to just shut down those conversations. I remember recently my daughter was watching a video of a medical school graduation and my wife is a physician. And... So she knows there are dark people who are physicians. And, and so she asked, why aren't there more brown people <laughs> graduating? Right. And we could have easily said, oh, don't talk about that. She's six years old. But we explained to her. We didn't want her to think there was something wrong with dark people or there's something right about, let's say, white people special. And that is the reason for that, because that's the assumption that a kid will have if we don't talk about bad rules. We don't want any child thinking there's something wrong or special about them because of their skin color. But that's what they're going to assume if we don't share with them the reasons why there's inequality that they actually see. So we have that conversation, you know, with her. This work does start with ourselves. If we're trying to parent our children differently than we've been parented let's say, we have to do work on ourselves and we have to be honest with ourselves. And that work is very intimidating. And I think that the work of anti-racism feels that same way. I had a conversation with my kids. We were, I think, at the airport maybe. And they said, there's a lot more black and brown people here than there are where we live. And 
I was like, whoa, you're right. This is something we have to have a conversation about that, frankly, I am not maybe totally ready to have a conversation about. But we had a conversation about like why historically we do not live in as diverse a place. But that conversation is intimidating for me to have as a parent. There is a certain amount of sort of self-reflection in this work that I think people feel scared to do. And the idea of presenting yourself as being part of any sort of racist system or having your own racism, it's scary to do that in front of your kids because you want your kids to admire you. We want our kids to admire us, but we also want our kids to learn from us that we're not perfect in that we can grow and that we can learn and that we make mistakes, but we pick ourselves back up. And so we have to model that and we have to ensure that our kids, and let me just also say, and I think this really sort of is just very unsettling to me, that we just assume that if our kids ask us a question and we shut it down, they're not going to ask someone else. Right, right. We always say that. They can learn it from you or they can learn it from the playground or a sitter, but they're going to learn it. Exactly. And if you, for instance, you know, are, you know, if you're parenting a 12 or 13 year old white teenage boy and they have questions about memes that they're seeing that were created by white supremacists on IG, who do you want them asking that question and talking about you as a parent or the white supremacist who may be getting into the multiplayer video game? Who do you want to have that conversation? You know, if you're a parent of a Native girl and they have questions about sort of Native history, who do you want to be answering that question? You or their friend at class who is called Native people savages because that's what they've heard other people say. Like, who do you want to have those conversations with your child? And that's one of the things that pushes me because it's hard for me still to engage with my child. Who do I want to have this us in this safe, loving space or someone, you know, outside. Such a good point. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, and we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while 
still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Dr. Kendi, I wanted to ask you about critical race theory because I think that it is misconstrued purposefully and misunderstood and sort of set up as this sort of straw man for why doing this work with kids is dangerous. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's quite unfortunate because two years ago to this day, one survey found that 76% of Americans were recognizing racism as existing and being a big problem. And obviously, that was when tens of millions of Americans from the largest cities to the smallest of towns were demonstrating against racism. So there was this clear, widespread recognition that racism was a problem. And indeed, in June of 2020, there were many teachers and many parents and more importantly, many young people who were like, I want to learn more about this problem. <laughs> I want to understand why, what happened to George Floyd. And so... Unfortunately, there were elements in our society who wanted to change the existential problem, who wanted to get people to think that the problem was not racism, but the problem were those people who are challenging racism, who are speaking out against racism, who are identifying racism, who are trying to eliminate racism. And so this whole crusade around what people define or call critical race theory. And in the straw man is, I think, a great analogy because what's happened is the people who imagine that they're critics of critical race theory define critical race theory in a way that critical race theorists don't recognize. Then they attack it. Hmm. <laughs> and then they expect people to respond like, what do you say, <laughs> say to that? Right. And then they say, I'm a critical race theorist or I'm the father of critical race theory. I'm the founder of critical race theory when critical race theory was literally born before I was born. And so it just becomes <laughs> the, the circus. Makes it, well, looking at the timeline, it makes it complicated that you could be the father. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Going back and really drilling down on this idea of anti-racism, I feel like at this point, people have heard this term of anti-racism, but I'd like to get into the definition of it for people who might still be kind of clinging on to their own life raft of, well, we don't need that. We don't do that. We don't see color. We raise our kids to be good people, and therefore, we're done. So the whole construct that we don't see color and we don't raise our kids to see color is indicative of where people prefer to start the conversation about race. And that starting point is, should we be identifying by race? What I would argue is we should be starting the conversation about race with why are there racial disparities and inequities in our society? Why are, let's say, Black people more likely to be impoverished or incarcerated or be killed by police or die of heart disease and cancer? If we start there, then that allows us to see 
two perspectives that allows us to see two structures that allows us to see essentially either those who are claiming that Black people have less because they are less and others saying that Latinx people have less because of racism. So then it allows us to see the crux of the debate, right? And for us to see that those who are saying that the cause of those inequities are racism are being anti-racist. And and those who are saying that white people have more wealth than everyone else because they're superior are being racist. And then it allows us to be like, okay, you know what the problem are those policies, that racism, not any racial group of people. So let's collectively together create policies and practices that are equitable. Let's realize the racial groups are equals. And what that is, is anti-racism. Mm. And as you said, that kids fill in the blanks for themselves if you don't fill them in. So that if you think that you're not talking about race, but you are living in all white area and going to a place where they see more black people who are living in an urban, they are going to make definitions if you are not helping to contextualize and to say this is a problem that we have an actual role in being part of as good people, that closing our eyes and hunching over does not make us good people, that somehow being part of the solution does. Exactly. And if our kids see that, let's say, we're not talking about racism, and so they're just assuming that there are more Black people in prison because Black people are more dangerous and And then in their actual curriculum, they are seeing a paucity of, let's say, authors or experiences of people of color. And so they're being told that People have basically are literally less. And then those people are literally showing up less in their curriculum. So it's almost reinforcing this without never saying anything. (laughs) We don't say anything, but we're reinforcing racial hierarchy in the minds of our children. There are three steps you talk about in the book for sort of teaching children about themselves and about others that I loved because I thought it was the kind of thing that you really can start at a pretty young age. Can you walk us through that process? Sure. It's one of the beauties of humanity. It's all of our different cultures, right? And we have to ensure that our kids know about their own culture and their own history. So whether you are Korean American, Irish American, Jamaican American, Indian American, it's important to teach your child about your own cultures, you know, and your own history and what's distinct about it. It's also important for us to teach, you know, I, my daughter, for me to not just teach her about African-American history and culture, but to teach her about Jewish American history and culture and what's distinct about that other culture. Right. And then it's important for us to teach, which is the third step. <laughs> it's important for us to teach our children about what's the same. So it's important for us to teach our kids about what's unique about them, what's unique about other people. And then what's the same about you and that other person? So it goes back to the Sesame Street book. We're different and we're the same. We do talk to a lot of parents of teenagers who may not be aware of the online sort of pull of racism and white supremacism that is going on online. Can you touch on that briefly just in terms of what's going on with people actually trying to recruit, especially white teens? It is an epidemic. Like it is a literal epidemic. And, you know, the number of white middle aged white supremacists, largely men who are creating memes, um, who are jumping on multiplayer video games, 
who are sending direct messages to white preteens and teenagers who are constantly asking those kids when they engage them, how are things going in school? And if they ever express that they had a problem with something or someone, well, you see, that's what's wrong with women. You see, that's what's wrong with gay people. You see, that's what's wrong with black people. And then sort of start feeding them sort of evidence, so-called evidence that supports that. It's an epidemic. And the reason why we're not talking about it is because when parents realize it or when a kid realizes they're being duped, there's a tremendous amount of shame. Yes. Yes. So when people are ashamed of something that happens to their child, they don't want to talk about it. Right. But that doesn't mean it's not happening. And so what is study shown protects white male children from being recruited or duped or manipulated by a white supremacist lurking online? Anti-racist education. Having that knowledge before they go in, right? Before they start those conversations. Because think about it. If you have been taught about a racist idea, if you've been taught that a car can hit you and that a car hurts, you're when you cross the street you get it. and that car is coming, you're going to see it and stop. Yeah. Stay out of the way. Right. Yeah, I saw it just with the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, like some of the things my kids were seeing on YouTube and, oh, do you know she's this and he's that? And I'm like, whoa, 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 where is this? I'm thinking they're watching, you know, goofy Roblox stuff on YouTube and they're suddenly coming at me with thoughts on the Johnny Depp trial that I think are bonkers, you know? It's another reason we have to dial into what they're hearing from strangers. And believe me, I've done a lot of anti-sexism work in my household and they still were susceptible to it. And what's interesting is particularly for the older children, they don't talk to us. Right. <laughs> and so because they don't talk to us, the protective work that our teachers are doing and that we're doing becomes even more important because we're just not going to know what they're doing like we would when our kid, you know, was six years old. I'm actually trying to appreciate my daughter right now. Being oh, yeah. Enjoy it while you can. I mean, some things get a lot easier, but some things get a lot harder. Well, Dr. Kendi, we are such admirers of your work. Please tell our audience, especially the moms and dads who are listening, where they can find your work, especially your work for kids. Well, they can find how to raise an anti-racist and even new picture book, Good Night Racism, wherever books you know are sold, the local independent bookshop. And they can even find those books and, and other elements of my work on my website, which is ibramxkendi.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. Dr. Kendi, it has been a real honor to talk to you today. Thanks for being with us. Oh, it's been an honor to talk to each of you. And thank you so much for the work that you do. So I have been taking my Nutrafol regularly. And oh my goodness, it works. Friends, I'm here to say, ditto, it works. I mean, most of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. And yes, it's perfectly normal. But if you also see your part getting a little wider, join the over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your age, your lifestyle factors, because a one-size-fits-all approach to hair products isn't practical. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth by targeting key root causes of thinning like stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism. So take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LAUGHING. 
Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code laughing. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code laughing. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. That was pretty exciting to talk to Dr. Kendi, I must admit. Yes, Amy and I were both nervous and excited. I wanted to talk a little bit more about what our kids are learning online. You know, when you talked about the Johnny Depp thing, the most obvious example is this shooter from Buffalo, 18 years old. He began to be radicalized, I read, 18 months ago. 18 months ago was his first, like, what's this chat room about? It took him 18 months from, hmm, what's this, to killing a dozen people because he didn't like the color of their skin. It's so rapid what can happen. Right. And you're probably talking there about a situation where the person had some things going on, right? They were like fertile ground, right? Probably there was some fertile ground that those seeds were falling in. But I was amazed to find my kids who are, you know, on their phones just scrolling. We don't allow TikTok because I thought like, I'm not going to allow TikTok. That'll help. And just say how old your children are in case some listeners don't know. 13, 12, 10. My 10-year-old doesn't really have a phone. But she can look over shoulders. Yeah. It doesn't matter. My 10-year-old and I are still watching Binging Once Upon a Time. Like, we're still fine. But my 13-year-old watches, I guess it's now on YouTube. It just plays and plays all these short little, just like TikTok, just thing after thing after thing. And all of a sudden at the dinner table, I'm hearing like, Johnny Depp got done wrong and Amber Heard is crazy. I did not follow that trial at all, and I, I don't know any of the details, and I'm not even interested in having a debate about the specifics of their case, except for to say that my son, through whatever algorithm was feeding him, and I think this was probably the majority of stuff online, so I don't think he was being particularly targeted by like quote unquote sexist content, but certainly at the dinner table was like, I'm so glad Johnny Depp got away with it. And I definitely came away like, wait, what? Why do you even have an opinion on this? I don't want to get caught in the soup of the specifics of that situation, but right, because we're talking about anti-racism, but it's more of the idea of, I think Dr. Kendi said it really well, who do you want to be presenting and talking through these ideas with your kid. When I tried to push back a little bit about, well, that seemed like a difficult, toxic relationship. And I don't think in an abusive relationship, like anyone's the hero. And whatever I tried to say, mom, you don't understand. Because like thirsty ex 
246 told me this. So why should your like 50 years of perspective matter to me? I had the exact same conversation with my 14 and 17 year olds at the dinner table. My 14 year old's a girl. My 17 year old is a boy. Everybody knows that this is the Amber Heard thing. And I was like, wait, what? And we tried to have a conversation with our kids that this was probably somebody paying a lot of money to skew the social media conversation one way or another. This was on TikTok in particular. My kids saw it on TikTok that you can skew the cultural narrative by what you're putting out there and that you're being sold a bill of goods. You're being sold a point of view. And they were, again, extremely, as Dr. Kenny was saying in the interview, nobody likes to be told that. Nobody likes to be told that they've been misled. And that that goes for grownups, too, right? We don't like to think that the things that we've been taught are wrong, that we are wrong that we need to course correct. And yet it's going from like the bad messages we may have internalized as youngsters to like the bad messages that are being injected directly into our kids' veins while they're watching TikTok videos. I mean, it's not accidental. It's quite on purpose these days. Right. And that's why we have to be on purpose about what messages we're giving them. And I think that in talking to different people on the podcast about this kind of work and anti-racism, the idea that if your kids only read white authors or they live in a place where they see that rich people are white people and poor people are black people, that if you're not having conversations about race other than like, we treat everyone the same, that your kid is filling in the blank that like, oh, well, then I guess if everybody's exactly the same, there must be a negative reason that I read white books and I hang out with white people of privilege and that the black people I know or the people of color who I know are in a different category and that leaving that conversation unspoken doesn't mean that your kids are like, they don't see it. It just means that you're not talking about what they're seeing and you're not talking about the reasons why that exists. Can we pivot to a a positive thing that I'm seeing in my kids? Please. So I have my kids are 19, 17 and 14 and they've gone through the same school. So I have seen in their grade school and in their high school a real change over the last three years of what authors they're reading and where their texts are coming from, what their English books are and what they're studying in history and what it's about. And it's really for the positive. I mean, I really love what they're reading. I'm interested in what they're reading. I'm reading some of what they're reading because it's new to me because it's not a separate piece like every high school student read for the last 75 years. Not that there's anything wrong with a separate piece. I don't think. Maybe there is, but there's room for other authors. Well, I just think a separate piece is a little bit like the world is a world in which like wealthy white people go to boarding school. Like it's a good story, but it's not. If you only read Catcher in the Rye, a separate piece, you're like, I guess it's the world is white, wealthy people who go to boarding school, which it's not. Mm-hmm. And the one with Piggy whose glasses get stepped on. What's that one? Oh, uh, <laughs> oh, come on. Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. I was going to say, I'll go back to my meme that you'll never understand what it means to be a ghost until you listen to two people on a podcast try to answer a question that you know the answer to. Yes. Lord of the Flies. <laughs> right. You're like screaming Lord of the Flies. So I think my youngest will get through junior high school and high school without reading Lord of the Flies because she's reading authors that aren't all white and male. And I think that that is an absolutely fantastic change. And so and her education is so much richer for it. So I do think they're being exposed at school to a lot of new ideas. And unfortunately, on TikTok, where my kid spends way too much time, she's getting a very narrow cast, sinister version of events that I, yeah, I do think we have to watch out for. And this is a problem. 
Yeah. And I wanted Dr. Kendi to really highlight that because it is a thing that I came into parenting as the scary thing that happens online is predators trying to get your kid to meet them at the mall. Like I thought that's the bad thing that happens online and that's why you have to be careful. And now that I'm having teenagers, once they have a phone, it's harder to control what they're seeing and doing. Yes, you will have your kids come to you with ideas that they have picked up on social media that need context and that may need some real dialing back. It's not a world in which like, we're just good people who treat everybody the same because we're good. It's a world in which you say you are being manipulated with out of context information and I need to help. I need to prep you before you see it and I need to contextualize it for you after you've seen it. That's why... Dr. Kennedy's new book, it's called How to Raise an Anti-Racist. It is so good because this can start to feel overwhelming and scary. This is something I don't want to do. And also the costs of not doing it are overwhelming. And oh, no, the world is terrible. Teaching kids about racism is actually the best way to protect our kids from racism. And he says the more caregivers engage kids, caregivers, because he uses very inclusive language in the book, because this book really is not just for moms and dads, it's for anybody who takes care of kids. The more caregivers engage kids about racism, he says, the more kids will be able to protect themselves from racist messages, which all of our kids need to protect themselves from, not just black kids, not just brown kids. All kids need to protect themselves from racism. Yeah. Exactly. As Amy said, we will link in the show notes. Check out How to Raise an Anti-Racist. It will be in our bookshop. And also, Dr. Kenny has a kid's book called Goodnight Racism that we didn't talk as much about, but it will also be in our bookshop. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. 